I'd like for you to turn to the second chapter of the book of Hebrews. I wonder how we will appear to history, how history will look upon us. I mean, in the years to come, when millions of eyes look back on the 70s and 80s, how they will, what they will think of Christianity, American style. When we look back upon church history, upon the lives of uh, the greatness of um, the church fathers, we, we do with a great deal of respect. I mean, uh, Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and Wesley and, and Whitfield, all of the uh, fathers of church history. And, and we know they're not perfect, but when we look back on them, we, we do so with a tremendous admiration and respect for the uh, deep and abiding conviction that they had to biblical truth and to, um, and to the faith. And uh, I wonder what, they, what history will think of us. Will they be able to look back on us with the same degree of respect? I have a feeling or somewhat of an anxiety that, that 200 years in the future as history looks back on us, they will see our time as a generation of drifters because there is a wholesale drifting from the harbors of truth. That is moral purity and marital commitment and biblical fidelity, ministerial integrity. A wholesale drifting from those great harbors of truth. And what they might do as they look back upon the 70s and 80s is to say, yeah, it was just about this time when that, that drifting began. And this generation seems to be the generation that began to rewrite the standards. And there are no real sharp edges on this, this generation. I'm afraid that might be what they might say. For what I'm hearing and what you're hearing from many people is this. I, these things are up for grabs. There are so many variables. I mean, these things like moral purity and marital commitment and, and uh, uh, biblical fidelity, these things are up for grabs. I'm not real sure that I feel the same way toward these things as my parents did before me. I'm not really sure that this is what the Bible really teaches about this. And, and there is a kind of an imperceptible, imperceptible erosion and drifting from these great harbors of truth. It's not new to our time, however, for the author of the book of Hebrews was writing a warning to first century Christians concerning that very same thing. And chapter two, verses one through four is such a warning. Now, if you want to catch and get an understanding of what the book of Hebrews is really, uh, what, what, it, what it is, uh, you, you need to turn to chapter 13 and verse 22, and this is what the author says about it. He says, this really is not a letter of information. It is an exhortation, and an exhortation is a warning that is to be heeded. And so he comes to this second chapter to really extend or amplify on this warning to be careful to take heed of the things you've heard lest 
you let them slip away. Now, I'm sorry if you've heard sermons from this text in, in revival meetings preached to lost people. I've heard a lot of them preach. This text preached to lost people. It has nothing to do with, with uh, lost people. It's written to Christians who are involved in this imperceptible erosion and slipping away from the truths that they've had and had been taught. Now, in chapter two to get, uh, in chapter one to get a little background, the author has been establishing the superiority of Christ. In fact, the theme of Hebrews is the superiority of Jesus. And he says that Jesus is superior to prophets because he is the one that God has given and ordained to have the inheritance of the world. And he is the one through whom the world was made and he sustains it. And he is the one who paid salvation's debt, redemption's debt, and sat down at the right hand of the Father having accomplished that salvation so that Christ is superior to the prophets. And he is superior to angels these spiritual beings that the Jews were tempted to worship. As a matter of fact, in the last verse of chapter one, he said that these angels are ministering spirits sent or, or dispatched from heaven to minister to you who are trying to live the salvation, the Christian life. They are the liturgical, the sent ones from heaven to earth, dispatched from heaven to earth to assist you in the living of the Christian life. And he says in chapter two, verse one, for this reason. Now it's a, that's the transition, if you're following in the outline. It's, it's too bad that there has to be uh, chapter divisions in some places because this is a terrible place for a chapter division. Because what he's saying in verse one of chapter two is directly related to what he's just said. For this reason, for what reason? For the fact that Jesus Christ in his superiority has accomplished salvation for you. And for the reason of the fact that he has dispatched, God has dispatched angels to minister so that you can live the Christian life for this reason, you are to be careful, take heed of all that you've heard. And for a second reason, for the reason of the fact that salvation is inherited. Now underline that. An inheritance is that which is received as a gift in contrast to that which is earned as a reward. An inheritance is that which is received as a gift contrasted with that which is earned as a reward. Now, there is an inherent danger in the fact that salvation is not on the basis of your merit but His mercy. There is an inherent danger in that. Let me see if I can illustrate. Here's a man who reaches the age of 65 and he's going to retire and um, for all these years that he has worked, he has kind of you know, invested and he's made uh, provisions for his retirement and he comes to the age of 65 and retires and receives $1,000 a month in his retirement. 
Now, how he handles that retirement, he's going to handle that very carefully because he's worked hard for that and he's, he knows how to appreciate it. He's going to handle that carefully. Now, here is a young man, 30 years old, and he just all of a sudden comes into an inheritance of a million bucks. I mean, don't you wish, every one of us is thinking about that, oh, why couldn't that be me? I mean, 30 years old, and all of a sudden, I'm, I have a million bucks on my hand as, a, as an inheritance from a rich uncle. Now, the inherent danger of that is that that young man is, must be very careful lest he handle that carelessly. And how many times have you heard, well, he inherited all that money and it ruined him? Because there's an inherent danger in receiving that kind of thing as a gift that you have to be very careful with it. Now, when a person comes to a knowledge of salvation, he receives God's salvation as a gift that he's never earned. He doesn't earn it. He doesn't achieve it. And there is an inherent danger in that that he will handle that precious gift carelessly. And that's what he's driving at in Hebrews. That now that you have this marvelous inheritance, God has accepted you and he's sending angels to minister to you. And Christ has accomplished his work of redemption in you. Be very careful with that inheritance. And this is the command that you pay close attention lest you drift away from what you've learned. Um, watch this. Our problem in the Christian life is not a lack of exposure. Our problem is that we have not taken seriously what we've been exposed to. Our problem is not that we need new knowledge. Need is to apply what we already know. Somebody said that knowledge will not keep any better than fish. And the problem is not that we don't know enough truth. Our problem is that we've not done a good job of handling the truth we already have. Somebody put a pencil to it. And he said, if you could take the knowledge that was, has, what was, it, that was acquired from the beginning of time to 1845 it, on a graph, you could put it on a graph, it would be an inch high. From 1845 to 1945, it would be three inches high, pretty good in a hundred years, it tripled. But the knowledge we have acquired from 1945 to this present time is the height of the Washington Monument. That's pretty awesome. Now, I was born before 1945. Some of you were born in that generation between 1945 and this present moment, and there has been this awesome amount of knowledge that we have acquired. It's not a matter of discovering new truth. The problem is that we have not taken seriously and applied the old truth. Just a while back, I was... I was sitting down at Falls Creek and I just looked out all over those kids that were sitting there. And I just thought, how many sermons those kids have heard in a lifetime? You know, 
And, 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 and I got up here on Sunday, I get up on Sunday morning, I preached, I get out and look at this congregation. How many sermons have you heard? More than you could count and wouldn't even want to try. One, one young man was shaking his head. That's absolutely true. I've heard more than I want, he probably thinking. You couldn't, there's not a soul here, I bet, who, who could tell, who could make an outline of a sermon I preached three weeks ago. Now, I'm not advocating you quit listening to sermons. My point is that we have all the sermons and all the truth that we need. And that's the argument here, is that we have the knowledge that we've, and our problem is we're just not applying that knowledge. A few weeks ago, I was flying up to Dayton, up to uh, Columbus, Ohio. And I was sitting in this plane, and this girl got up, this stewardess, to, to, to make her little speech. And, and, and when I got on the plane, the first thing I did was open up my briefcase and start studying on a sermon, read, reading a book. And this girl got up there, and she started talking, and everybody there was doing something else. You ever notice how that happens? And, and, and she was just talking to tops of people's heads. And I decided I'd just listen. I've used this in illustration before. I decided I'd just listen, see what she's going to say. I mean, she was saying all that needless stuff like how you get oxygen, you know, when you need to breathe and where the, where the escape hatches were, you know, that you get out of the plane and, you know, stuff like that you probably won't ever need. You know, where, where the cushions were in case you went into the water, you know, that you can get on and, 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 and stuff like it. You know, old stuff that everybody had heard before. In about 10 minutes, we were sitting there on the, on, on the, in the tarmac waiting to, to leave, and, and the stewardess came on and said, Attention, ladies and gentlemen, this plane is equipped with the new air to ground telephone system. And everybody's head came up. And she said, if, if, you, if you'll give me your attention, Kim will be demonstrating how to use this new air-to-ground telephone system. You can call anywhere in the world there on that airplane and anywhere in America for $7. You can call anybody. Everybody's listening. And she demonstrated how to put your credit card in this slot, you see. Now, that old stuff, that's old hat, nobody listened to it, but this new stuff, and everybody's looking for something new. Let me, let me say it from my heart. It's exactly what Paul was saying in 2 Timothy 3, 7. We're always learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. And he said, you have all this information about how to live your life. Now, don't let it drift. Don't let it slip away. And the word means to slip off your finger like a ring. My mother, my wife's mother died. And she left her ring. And it was, my wife wanted that ring, and so her sister got it and gave it to her, my wife. And she was coming home. It was the most cherished thing. She had the ring on. It was her mother's. And she was coming home from Monday, Texas to Durant, stopped to get some gasoline, and that ring slipped off her finger. She didn't even know it. She didn't know it until she got in the car and left, and all of a sudden, halfway here, she remembered that ring and looked, and it was gone forever. Now, the author of the book of Hebrews said, young people, college students, 
adults, he said this. He said, you have the knowledge of God. You have the knowledge of the truth. You have all that you need to live the Christian life. Now don't let it slip away. And this is the argument, verses 2 through 3a. Look at that. He says, For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? If something as limited and in need of assistance as the law and that brought consequences, how much more will we suffer under the disciplined hand of God if we let that slip? And this is the issue, he said, in verse 4. Or verse 3b, after it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard God also bearing witness with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. This is what he's saying. The Lord spoke to the prophets and the prophets told us and what they told us was conformed by signs and wonders. He said this is the issue. It's, the issue is not do we have the revelation of God. The issue is are you living the revelation of God? Now, there's a great deal of debate going on among Southern Baptist life about the Scriptures. You know, that's a waste of time. The debate is not, is this the Word of God? This is the Word of God. The debate is, how many of you are living it? The issue is not, do I need to know more about God? The issue is, am I living up to what I already know? The issue is not new truth. The issue is, am I applying old truth? Let me tell you what a revival would break out in every church. is not when we discover new truth and new things, new insights. The revival will break out in a church when we start living up to what we already know. Now, I see three or four applications. I want to hurry and get these. I know you want to quit. Four applications. Number one absorbing and applying what we have heard is more essential than seeking something new. I need to say that again. Absorbing and applying what we already have heard is more essential and important than seeking something new. But people will come out from under the rocks to hear something new. Somebody asked me the other night, he said, you know, I was talking about these, the lady who saw the Lord in a taco. The guy said, you make that stuff up? I really don't. <laughs> it sounds like it, doesn't it? I couldn't make up stuff like that. That's, that's got to be true. It's too weird to make up. If somebody has a book called The Church in Frenzy. You need to get that book, Church in Frenzy. It tells about all that we do, you know. It's kind of like the, the, good, the gospel, I started to say good year, the gospel blimp. The church and friends, he told about this church where they had this clown and unicycle act, you know, on Sunday morning. <laughs> on Sunday morning. And, and this clergyman, you know, was seen on television playing a guitar with his toes. And, and he said, God gave me this gift and it makes the young people feel closer to me. Brother. 
and in, and in Pennsylvania, this, there was this minister who dressed up in a clown suit and a clown face, and he said, quote, it helps the congregation to concentrate. <laughs> and, and in Maryland, there is this, I'm told that there is the exact replica of an ark at this church. Cost a million dollars to make it. And the pastor said, quote, it's a new way of saying that we're saving people here. And I read somewhere here a while back that a lady saw the Lord in her screen door. And so many people came to see the Lord in the screen door. They had to get the police to traffic the, the place and tow off the cars. Why do we need all that stuff? We don't. We just need to pay closer attention to what we already know. Second application. Overcoming the peril of drifting requires the discipline of application. Overcoming the peril of drifting requires the discipline of application. I need to say three things about that. First is that under pressure, under pressure, we rely on our own instincts rather than on the seasoned insights of God. Now, what, now that's, watch this. Under pressure, we rely on, we go back to our instincts. You remember in the sixth chapter of Mark, the Lord had just fed the 5,000. And he'd gathered up the baskets of, of fragments. There were 12 baskets of fragments, one for each of the disciples. Now these disciples had just seen the Lord feed a multitude and they had the fragments to prove it. And they got out on this boat and the storm came up and in this storm they saw Jesus walking on the water and it says they were amazed when they saw Jesus walking on the water. Now why were they amazed? Why were they amazed to see Jesus walking on the water? I mean, they should have expected him to walk on the water. He just fed 5,000. Well, Mark tells us in the very next verse, now watch this, he said, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves because their hearts were hardened. Had they gained the insight from the experience of the feeding of the 5,000, they would have not been amazed when Jesus came walking on the water. But they didn't gain any insight. So we come Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and we see the visitation of the Lord and we are fed and it means nothing to many of us. Second thing we need, I need to say is that we value human opinion more than we value God's truth. Now, isn't that the truth? We value human opinion more than we, value, than we value God's truth. Let me tell you what. When a need comes up, who is the first person you go to? Is it the Lord or is it some friend for their, their guidance, counsel? We, we go everywhere but to here. Because somebody else's opinion is more important to us than the Lord's most of the time. Third, we opt, we opt for what's comfortable and wrong rather than what's painful and right. Well, you see, sometimes if we obeyed the truth, what we know, 
that's oftentimes the most painful and difficult route to take. There's a third application. Obeying God's deliverance plan always leads to lasting satisfaction. Obeying God's plan always leads to lasting satisfaction. And you can anticipate the fourth. Neglecting God's deliverance plan tends to certain inevitable consequences. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Let me tell you a story about a man I I know him through a a friend. He grew up in the Houston area. He He lived in the fast lane. Had a speedboat. And one night out in the in the Gulf, he was racing that speedboat, turned it over, he, he, he almost drowned in the middle of the night, hanging on to some kind of a reef or raft or whatever. He promised the Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll do what you want me to do. Well, they found him, rescued him, and he forgot his promise. About six months after that, he was with his girlfriend, and they were out partying and he was, they were so drunk that they got up on the freeway going the wrong direction, high speed, hit head on. Another automobile killed her and almost tore his jaw completely off. They had to reconstruct his whole face. He told my friend, he said, every morning when I towel off, I look in the mirror and am reminded that God takes salvation seriously. Now, the matter is, is that this, this is the issue, this is the matter, that most of us here are Christians, and most of us here have had enough knowledge that it goes higher than the Washington Monument. And in every area of our life, there is spiritual truth that we're not applying. There is spiritual knowledge that we are not taking seriously. There is a standard that we are not meeting. The question is, how long is it going to take before we take salvation as seriously as God does? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you've not left us without truth. But I understand, Father, that we cannot take truth and put it in our pocket. That light increases light when it's obeyed. And darkness when it's disobeyed. And I pray that we'll not be just hearers of the truth, but doers. And that there is that application that we should make of spiritual reality and truth in our life tonight. You'll give us the courage to do it. In the name of Jesus, I pray.